0: Dennis Sarfate making his first appearance. What will you do to defend the rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? Welcome to the Green Dragon Tavern, where we talk a little treason. I'm Zach Lautenschlager. Dennis Sarfate is uh, on a little break today, and joining me is uh, retired Lieutenant Colonel uh, Davis Yance, who is a... JAG officer, or was, and now is in private practice. Davis is a friend of the Sentinel, a frequent cont- contributor, and uh, somebody who doesn't lose very often, although it does happen every now and then, as we were just talking about. Davis, thanks for joining. I know you're uh, uh, working a case uh, away from home, so thanks for taking a minute.
1: Yeah, happy to happy to join you.
0: So it looks like, and I'm sure you'll be able to hear the F-35s mm-hmm. taking off. Um, I live at the end of their own way. <laughs> um, so... Just uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, the Army uh, backpedaled on their COVID vaccine mandate and started begging and pleading and claiming that if you were unvaccinated and got kicked out, you could come back and you'd never have to get the vaccine is what they're implying. And now it looks like uh, the Air Force followed suit late last week. Obviously, that's near and dear to uh, to us at the Sentinel. Uh, we are working very hard to... Um, Let the American people know just how much uh, servicemen and women have sacrificed standing up against Biden's woke agenda, especially as they've expressed it through uh, vax mandates, uh, unlawful vax mandates. And Davis, I know you have spent the last three years uh, largely working on those cases. What's up with uh, with the Air Force and the Army now? Are are they really going to do what they say they're going to do?
1: Yeah, you know, Zach, it's a fascinating issue. What you have is a scenario where members of the United States military went through just absolute hell over the vaccine mandate. We have documented situations where the Air Force and the Army, all of the DoD just simply didn't care about the fact that there was no FDA approved vaccine available, and even worse, we have, you know, documentation that proves The military just ignored the law when it comes to religious accommodations. So at the end of all of that, what's happening now is there is a recruiting crisis and there is a retention crisis. There are statistics that now show more than 10% of the National Guard left during COVID. Not all of them were discharged over COVID, but they left during that time frame. 10% of the National Guard. We don't have good numbers for the for the reserves or the active duty yet. But what we do know is the recruiting crisis continues, the retention crisis continues. So what happened a couple of weeks ago is the United States Army sent out a form letter, a template form letter to everyone in the United States Army that was discharged during the COVID vaccine mandate, asking them to come back implying that they wouldn't have to get the vaccine in the future and asking them to come back. Within about a week, the Air Force did the same thing. Now, the funny thing about the Air Force memo is I have one whistleblower that shared with me a copy of the letter they got from the Air Force. It's verbatim what's in the Army letter Except that w- this one individual, when they got this template letter from the Air Force, the Air Force forgot to take out the Army language in it. So it referenced the Army Board of Corrections and the Army Discharge Review Board. So what what does this <laughs> really mean? What does all this mean? Uh, right. You laugh, but li- listen, this is what we saw during, during COVID as well. When this was going on, right. I, I had one client whose religious accommodation was denied before they submitted it. Yep. In other words, yeah, they, he was on a yep. list as a refuser- and they were automatically processing all of these things. And they actually processed it before his deadline or before he'd actually submitted it. So they made a paperwork error, but they knew where they were going to deny it anyway. So to, to all of mm-hmm. us that suffered through what happened uh, during this COVID mandate, um, this is a real slap in the face. It's, it's offensive to most of these individuals. I mean, we are talking about people that range from people with just a few years in service to people that were within six months, a year of retiring. And, and now, and they're kicked out most of them got an adverse service characterization. They, they have a DD-214. Their discharge paperwork says you were kicked out over misconduct. And what you get is a form letter saying, hey, please come back in. You won't have to get the, the vaccine. And oh, by the way, if there's a problem with your record, you can go through the administrative process, which takes about two years of trying to get your discharge upgraded and your record corrected so it doesn't look like you engaged in misconduct anymore. So all of that is just extremely offensive to so many of my clients. But to make it worse is this idea that you won't have to get the vaccine if you come back in. And that's simply not true either. I'm working with clients right now who are being tasked to deploy and they're being told, Oh yes, you uh, you survived COVID. You there was an injunction in place, so we couldn't kick you out when we wanted to. Federal courts intervened, and yes, Congress came back and they repealed the mandate. But now we're going to task you with the deployment, and guess what? You have to get the COVID vaccine to go on this particular deployment. The command has decided. So yeah. uh, you know, everyone who went through this knows there's this is you know. This carrot and stick approach, this is a bait and switch like we've seen before. So not only is it offensive to all these folks with everything that they went through and their families went through, we know it's, it's a Trojan horse because you go back in. And as soon as you go back in, if there's another vaccine mandate, if there's another experimental product, if there's another pandemic that's out there, uh, what are we going to be dealing with and what's going to happen to um, these military members? You're going to go through the same thing again, and you could be threatened with court martial and kicked out again, just like we saw in the past.
0: Last week on The Sentinel, we interviewed uh, Topher Field, who is one of the leading activists for bodily autonomy in Australia. He uh, lived in Melbourne. Uh, uh, He's since moved away, but Melbourne actually had SWAT teams patrolling the streets in armored cars, in MRAPs, um, or comparable, uh, tackling grandma with a load of groceries on the way home from the grocery store, in some cases um, giving her the rifle butt because she's out of her house and they think, oh, they thought it was inappropriate. Turns out later in many of these cases, obviously they weren't all grandmas, but in many cases, innocent civilians were knocked to the pavement and stomped or uh, beaten with rifles when they had their permission in their pocket the whole time. Um, We look at that in America and we say, I'm pretty sure if that happened in the streets in a California city, that there would have been an uprising. Um, I don't think that. Uh, I, I, I don't know. You look at it and go, how did how did we not get that there here? And there's only one reason why. It's because people pushed back, and who started pushing back? military servicemen and women. That's where it started. And it actually started, as you know very well, with Navy SEALs, which then spread to the rest of the military, and so it's easy to look at this and go, yeah, well, you know, first of all, military members are you sign a piece of paper that says they can basically do Nazi-level experiments on you if they want to. Absolutely false, not true. You don't cease to be an American citizen when you sign up to uh, defend the Constitution as part of our military. Uh, But then if you can get past that objection, then the the thought is, well, it's just the military, right? It's not like it's the rest of us. And we forget that, well, hang on, Biden did mandate the vaccine for nearly everyone, for anyone who worked for a a company that employed over 100 people. And, you know, that was just a start. Where else was it going to go? So I don't think we can overstress enough the importance of pushing back, the importance of standing up and saying, no, that is outside your jurisdiction. You don't get to do that. And it is a tremendous amount of work. It is a tremendous amount of grief and sacrifice. And it's really something to see military service members now dealing with many of the same problems, uh, the uh, deep state or whatever you want to call it. I call just call them Marxists in government and in our military. Um, you, know, you can pick your pick your term. Um, but they are acting like Marxists, they are behaving like tyrants, and they're not just going to give up and go home. Now they're going to find another way. They're going to find another avenue. And so uh, what, what are some of the best ways for people to stand up and say, no, I'm not going to do that. I know I'm not alone, and I'm not going to be a railroaded either.
1: First of all, I will say that what we need to understand about the the vaccine mandate and what happened, and a lot of people still think, oh, it's just about a vaccine or something else. The real issue for so many military members was the fact that what the federal government was doing was illegal. Right? This created a constitutional crisis where the executive branch was saying, we're going to do something illegal. We're going to ignore federal law when it comes to a strict prohibition on forcing military members to use an experimental medical product, that's against the law. Congress passed the law in the 90s, that's against the law. The second thing is the Religious Freedom Restoration Act requires the federal government to acknowledge and properly process religious accommodations. The military refused to to do that. So I say that when we talk about what to do and how to push back against tyranny in these situations, the first thing we have to recognize is this isn't ultimately simply about a vaccine and whether or not people wanted to receive a vaccine. This is about a constitutional crisis where the federal government, the executive branch, the White House, was testing the limits of their authority to tell individuals what medicine they're going to receive into their bodies. So this is, I mean, there's so many fundamental questions that this involves. I mean, from a theological standpoint, we're talking about spheres of authority that were at issue here, the difference between the, the civil government's authority, church authority, family authority, all of that. But you also have a constitutional crisis that was created by a federal government not allowing people to exercise the rights that are protected and ignoring Congress and congressional mandates. So what does it mean when we look at the lessons learned as far as how to push back when another mandate like this happens, when we see tyranny, Marxist level tyranny coming from the federal government? The first thing we have to recognize is in the United States, it is still we the people. And so we, we can band together and we can push back and ultimately, If enough people are unwilling to comply, if enough people are are willing to say, no, I believe this is illegal and unlawful and unconstitutional and morally wrong what you're doing. If enough people stand up, it limits the government's ability to impose this level of tyranny on us. That's what we saw in the military. When Navy SEALs were willing to push back and stand up, that created a a rallying point for the rest of the military and so many military members came back and pushed back and took a stand, Navy SEALs, Coast Guard Rescue Swimmers, what happened is the military had to slow down. They had to slow down and they had to wait. They couldn't just simply impose this because there were too many people pushing back. And so the biggest lesson from this is, you know, we need to live our lives in such a way that we are prepared not to comply when this level of tyranny comes in. And we need to be building churches and communities around us so that we don't have to take this stand alone.
0: Yes, that's right. And recognizing that um, even if you feel isolated, even if you don't know anyone, you can't see anyone, you can't talk to anyone face-to-face who is willing to fight for liberty and freedom, that there are hundreds of thousands of people who are who are doing it right now, who are standing up and saying, no, that is beyond your jurisdiction, I respectfully refuse. It's also really important, when we say that this is an unlawful order, that it's against the Constitution, it's against the law, um, the reason that is true, and I couldn't agree more, Davis, you're absolutely right, the reason that is true is because uh, every individual has not only the right but the responsibility to control what we do with our bodies. Now, I know this is really simple. These are the kind of conversations that I have with my two-year-old, that I have with my six-year-old. I tell my six-year-old son, who's a big, beefy kid, you're big enough now to change the world around you. When you swing your arm around, it does something. That changes something, and you're the person who controls that. Well, it's embarrassing to have to have that conversation with a general or with the President of the United States, for example. Um, But apparently that's necessary. It's necessary to remind Congress that um, what we do with our bodies is ultimately our responsibility. That means that the federal government especially doesn't get to tell the American citizen, you have to take this medicine or you can't have that medicine. Um, This is a core part of what ultimately comes back to the right to life. If you have a right to life, that means you have a right to determine what you put in your body that could Either give do serious bodily harm or end your life, and that is the reality with any medicine. There are risks, and there are potential um, things that will do to benefit you, and you must make that decision. Or, um, if you are incapacitated, you must have someone who can make it for you. Um, we are not proposing that military service members are incapacitated. Um, could you break down a little bit? We do this. We do this often, and I know it gets a little bit old sometimes. Could you break down again? Uh, what military servicemen and women are agreeing to and what they are not agreeing to when they join the military as regards medical uh, treatment.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and you know, it's the old joke. My, my grandfather used to say this. He was a gunnery sergeant in the Marine Corps. And when I talked to him about becoming, you know, attempting to become an officer in the United States Air Force, he would always joke, okay, well, once you sign up, you know, you, you'll become the property of the United States government. The reality is that's not entirely accurate. First of all, every military member swears an oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. So it would be absolutely absurd to think that the the core responsibility of a service member is to support and defend something that doesn't apply to them. So you do not give up your constitutional rights when you join the military. When it comes to medical treatment in the military, absolutely there are times when the military is going to say, this is what's required in order to accomplish the mission. But what Congress did in the 90s is Congress finally recognized: look, there is a scary, I mean, a scary history of our government conducting, you know, Nazi-like experiments on our own military members. And there's there's a whole lot of things we could talk about there, whether it was a syphilis experiments with in Tuskegee or other things, there have been horrible examples where Evil people in our government have experimented on military members without giving them informed consent. In other words, without giving them an opportunity to understand what it is that's happening to them and giving them opportunity to say yes or no. So Congress acted in the early 90s and they said, listen, we will not allow the United States military to impose upon its service members any medical product, any medical device or any medical treatment that is not FDA approved critical line in the sand. If it's not FDA approved, it cannot be mandated on military members. And you and I have talked about this before. That's the protection that military members have. So there are certain times, certain deployments throughout your career where you're going to be required to get vaccines related to the requirements of where you're going and what the mission will be. And those are going to be FDA approved products. If it's not an FDA approved product, if it is an experimental use or emergency use product, It is illegal. It is unlawful. It's a violation of federal law for the military to mandate it.
0: And so I think the important thing to recognize um, is that not only is it absolutely necessary for military servicemen and women to safeguard that line and to ensure that Um, if it's not FDA approved, that everybody knows it and that we're honest about the labeling and honest about what we're doing. Um, I know that there is a provision that allows the president to waive that, but it's very obvious. I don't know if that's ever been done. You can probably speak to that. But if if and when it is done, it's very clear that includes a, a dramatically increased level of liability, political liability at the very least for the president and uh, as I look at that, I'm not an attorney, but I would look at that and say that's that's a heavily increased legal liability as well. That did not happen. And so this is the, this is the reality, and that's the first line in the sand. But I think it's equally important to recognize that it is a stopgap. Since when is it the federal government's job to say that this medicine is safe and that medicine isn't? Now, when it comes to servicemen and women, I don't know who else would do it. Somebody needs to say that. But the problem with that is that it imagines that the FDA is somehow endowed or imbued with supernatural knowledge and authority to tell people, you can do this and the risk is minimal. Or don't do that because, you know. The, for example, the FDA at one point decided that certain herbs, and they still do, shouldn't be available to people. you shouldn't be able to walk into the street and buy comfrey root, for example. I know most of our viewers may not know what that is. Um, It grows outside your house, for the most part, for most of us. But that that is dangerous, has too many alkaloids, and you shouldn't be able to buy it over the counter in America, um, that's laughable. It's absurd. It's absurd that we would imagine that the federal government has the ability to tell us this is safe enough. When uh, we all know that if you are vaccine harmed, uh, the, the rules work very differently for vaccine companies. And that's also the federal government's doing. So I want to throw that in as a caveat from my perspective, and I, I think you probably share that perspective, Davis. Um, but given that caveat, you can't, we can't just walk away and say, oh, yeah, it's fine. Because if you yield uh, to any government, the authority to determine what you can and cannot eat, drink, or put in your body, you no longer really have a right to life. Um, you do not have the ability to control what you do with your body. Um, really simple stuff, shocking that we have to talk about it, but sometimes we kind of do, I think,
1: no, I, David, thank you for taking time
0: today. Anything else? Yeah, go ahead.
1: No, I was just going to say, you know, just to follow up on that. Yes, it is somewhat different for military members because of the mission mission requirements. But I want to echo what you said. You're, you're absolutely right. And there is a point at which the FDA is corrupted. If the FDA is corrupted and they're doing things that are immoral and they're doing things that are that are not right, then we have to call that out as well. And that happened, that's what happened with the anthrax vaccine in the military. Not to go back to that, but one of the lessons we learned from that is the FDA improperly, they didn't follow their own procedures in issuing approval for an anthrax vaccine, which was devastating. I mean, there are 35,000 members of the military that either died or were permanently injured, permanent neurological damage from the anthrax vaccine. And that was in the early 2000s. And so we didn't learn. So when we say, you and I get together and we say, listen, we have to learn from these things. We have to be prepared to push back and make sure we learn these lessons. That's because it happened before. It happened with anthrax. And when I learned that and understood that, it was shocking to me um, as part of the reason why I was so passionate about pushing back against this, this emergency use authorization product being forced on the American people as well as the military. So thank you very much for the time. I appreciate you covering this. It's always a pleasure, my friend.
0: No doubt about it. Davis, thank you. And ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week.